I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast that helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Okay, Jam. So last week I teased a little bit about the topic of this week's episode. Yes. It was about plants not dying in freezing weather. Right, right. And I think that may have been a little bit of false advertising because that's kind of only tangentially related because I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole and got really excited about a different topic. Okay. Okay. So the topic that we're going to be talking about today is maple syrup. Oh, nice. We're going to talk about the chemistry behind maple syrup. What does it have to do with colligative properties and freezing? And mm-hmm. are you ready for it? Yes. What does it have to do with pharmaceuticals? Whoa. Maple syrup and pharmaceuticals? What the? What the what? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So are you ready to get into it? I'm very ready. So I'm going to leave the pharmaceuticals for the very end. That's going to be your fun fact information. you got to work for it. Okay. Got it. But we're going to do a little chemistry lesson real quick first. Okay, perfect. Okay, so last week we talked about how water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit and it Mm -hmm. expands when it freezes. But colligative properties, we alluded to this in the conversation last week, can play into that and change the, the temperature at which water freezes. Right, right. So colligative properties are properties that are determined not by what is dissolved in a solution, but how much of a substance is dissolved in a solution. Okay. So there are some properties that will be affected no matter what you dissolve in it. It's just affected by the amount. Okay. Okay. So we talked about that with boiling point elevation with the episode about why your pot never boils. Right. Right. And if you add salt or sugar or probably even like sand, as long as you can get it in the solution, it will make the temperature at which your water boils increase. Right. The opposite thing happens for freezing. It makes the temperature at which your water or other substance freezes goes down. Right, right. Which is why when we've talked about this before, but like putting salt on the roads that came right. up in a, either an episode or a Q&R or something like that in the past. Yes. So you can put salt on roads, but you could also, we talked about, you could sugar roads and Stephen H wrote in with an article about trying to sugar roads, I think in Switzerland, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the freezing point depression is what's that called. So you've got boiling point elevation and freezing point depression. Meaning the boiling point goes higher because of the, the colligative properties of whatever's in it Mm -hmm. and the freezing point goes lower because of whatever's Okay. Yes. So that's an overview of colligative properties. That is something that we teach in general chemistry. The science behind why the boiling point goes up and the freezing point goes down is a little bit more complicated. We went into that more in the episode about your water pot boiling. But I think because we have so much else to cover today, we're not going to go back over why it changes the freezing point too, too much. Okay. Okay. So you are still getting, this is, that still counts as a full-blown chemistry lesson for a general chemistry level. 
you're not getting cheated out of a good lesson or anything. That is still the lesson. That's a full lesson in and of itself. The, the reasons of why don't usually even get talked about until physical chemistry when you're in a chemistry program or whatever. So that's way later on in the program. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that is a quick review of colligative properties. So what do you think all of that could possibly have to do with our topic of maple syrup and plants not dying in the freeze? Take a minute, think about it, see what you can come up with. So I have two lines of thought kind of going in my mind. Okay. The, f- the first is that when it's sap in the tree, the maple syrup is in the tree still mm-hmm. as sap, that it's got maybe a makeup to it that has, like we know it's sweet. And so maybe it has some sugar type molecules that have those colligative properties to it. Right. Which makes it hard for the for the sap to freeze. But then I also thought if I don't really know how sap is like stored in trees and how that works, but I wondered if maybe just the fact that there's lots of sap mixed in with the fact that all trees have lots of water in them, that maybe just its presence, um, maybe it has a colligative property different from just the sugar in it, if that makes sense. And it's everywhere in the tree. So maybe that helps keep the water's freezing point depressed. I think I was a little confused on your second point, but I think you're on the right track. Basically, the second point was more about, maybe it's not about the sugar part, but just the sap itself something else about it keeping the water from freezing. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So the sap, I think, is the primary form of water in trees in the winter. So I don't think there's a lot of other water in the trees. Uh, Okay, gotcha. Interesting. So, and the sap seems to be the liquid that moves around in these systems in the trees that move nutrients back and forth. So I think that thought process was really good. I think that was a really... Very, very close. Maybe not 100% technically accurate, but very close to what's actually going on in the tree. So that's exciting. Good job. So the sap seems to be present. It, it was hard for me to nail down a, a scientific source that outright said this. There was a lot of sources that didn't cite anything. And then a scientific source alluded to this. So my mm-hmm. assumption is that the sap primarily exists to transport nutrients to the tree different areas of the tree, sort of like our blood. The sap Uh seems to be the blood of the tree moving things around in it. Okay. Got it. Got it. And a lot of plain water is stored in leaves, but those fall off in the, in the autumn. So there's not a lot of pure water that I'm aware of in the tree come winter. Got it. Okay. That would not have crossed my mind about just the sap being the water, basically like being, it's way of doing that. I don't, I don't know why I didn't know that if that if I just forgot that or if I've never learned that before, but that's cool. 
That's my understanding. I could be wrong on that, but my understanding is the sap is the primary form of water in the tree because sap is made up of almost all water, Mm -hmm. but dissolved in that water, there's sugar. There's actually some salts like potassium is present in, in tree sap. And there's something else called polyphenols, which is a big chemistry word, but it just means a special type of molecule. It's, it's sort of like how we've talked about how there's quote classes of molecules before. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, just a a class, like a group of molecules known as polyphenols that have sort of similar properties. And they're found in a lot of different plants as a nutrient. Okay. So all this stuff is dissolved in the sap and it seems the primary purpose of the sap is to move these nutrients all around the tree, just like our blood. Mm-hmm. But an unofficial side effect that I don't know if this would be the purpose of the if the plant made this on purpose this way or what, but all those things being dissolved in the sap naturally lowers the freezing point of the water because they have cl- its colligative properties having things dissolved in there, and it's not just sugar, yeah. but it's other stuff too that all contributes to the lowering of the freezing point of the water. So it's much harder to freeze sap than it would be if there is pure water in the trees. Got it. Okay. Got it. So that's one of the mechanisms that helps trees stay alive in freezing weather. However, there are other things going into that that we're not going to cover today. I think it's worth an episode in the future, but I got so excited about maple syrup that I totally dropped that ball and just focused (laughs) on the maple syrup stuff because I was amazed to think about the fact that their sugar dissolved in sap gives us maple syrup, but also helps the tree stay alive. That's incredible. Yeah. I would not have thought of that as being like such a key part of trees, like survival. I just think things like that, I I usually assume, I guess, are just these weird byproducts. Like, oh yeah, this tree makes this weird juice that it's great on pancakes. Um, but (laughs) it's just like, I'd never would have thought about that. Yeah. Isn't that so cool? It totally derailed me away from doing the whole lesson on how trees stay alive in the winter and moved me into all of the chemistry of maple syrup. And it was a rewarding rabbit hole. And I'm really glad we went down it. (laughs) Dude, that's awesome. So that's kind of how colligative properties play into trees not dying. There's other stuff that goes on. I read about cell hardening and a few other things that we'll definitely talk about. But colligative properties are definitely part of it. And sap is definitely part of it. And I I do want to say real quick before we move into more of the maple syrup area that the idea of colligative properties isn't necessarily, just in case we kind of were using the term a little loosey-goosey, it's not that sugar or salt or phenols have colligative properties in and of themselves. Colligative properties are just dependent on how much of something is dissolved in a solution. So it's not like salt has colligative properties. It's the idea of freezing point depression is a colligative property based on the amount of something dissolved in it. Got it. If that makes sense. Because usually we don't talk about phenomenon like that, like the actual idea of it lowering or increasing being the property. We think of property as, oh, this item has this property kind of. So it's kind of a weird way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's a that's it on colligative pop- properties. I'm putting a little bow on that. Okay. Now let's talk about how we turn maple sap into syrup and what the chemistry is behind that. Okay, sweet. So maple sap has all these nutrients already in it. And you take about 40 liters of maple sap and you have to boil that down till it gets to about one liter and that's maple syrup. Oh, wow. That's a big ratio. Very concentrated. The kind of cool thing in that is because colligative properties are all about what's dissolved and the concentration, you know, how much of something is dissolved in a solution. Mm -hmm. As it gets more and more concentrated, the proportion of dissolved stuff goes up and up and the boiling point of maple sap is much, much lower than the boiling point of maple syrup. Oh, okay, gotcha. Sorry, for a second, I just heard it backward. And I was like, it wouldn't be lower, it'd be higher. But maple saying, sap is lower than maple syrup. Yeah, yeah. So you see the boiling point elevation. So that's another colligative property that goes into play as we're seeing maple syrup. So there's chemistry all around. Yeah, interesting. But the other thing that happens is if you're heating a lot of molecules, such as sugar, polyphenols, and salts in a big vat, that's mm-hmm. essentially a giant chemical reaction. There's You're putting energy in and there's mo- molecules moving around and they can start to interact with each other. Uh-huh. And so you're getting more new molecules being made through a chemistry reaction uh-huh. to the point where some of that's the Maillard reaction also. So that's something that we've talked about before. There are other side products that will form that as things collide and there's heat being put in, new molecules will form to the point where one professor who studies the chemistry of maple syrup, Dr. Navendra Serum, he and his graduate students have identified 60 molecules, 60 separate molecules that are present in maple syrup, the final product. Whoa. Isn't that so much more complicated than I would have expected? Yeah. I know it's not just this is really concentrated sugar. It's this is sugar with polyphenols that already existed, polyphenols that exist after the reaction happens. There's salts present. There's all kinds of stuff going on in maple syrup that's so much more than just sugar water, which is kind of what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those reactions and those molecules that are formed help give maple syrup its special distinctive flavor that we all recognize as real maple syrup, not the pancake syrup that's on the shelves, but real maple syrup that comes from maple sap boiled down. Mm -hmm. So that's it. That's the chemistry of maple syrup is it starts out as maple sap, which helps protect the tree. And then you boil it down and you get something new, which is maple syrup. Dude, that's crazy. It's so much more complicated than I would have thought maple syrup would have been so it was very very fun but this isn't even the best part it just keeps getting better okay sweet <laughs> so but you have to earn it first oh, okay okay cool so do you want me to say back kind of the first section and this new beginning section of maple syrup i think so i think that would be the best way that we can kind of summarize everything it's not your traditional chemistry lesson that we normally have but maybe more of a summary. Yeah. Okay. So in the first section, we're talking about trying to survive freezing temperatures. Um, maple trees and other trees that have sap, I would guess this would carry over to other, you know, sap trees. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> they, 
sap typically would have lots of dissolved things in it, some sugars, some salts, some polyphenols. It's not, it's not just water. There's enough things dissolved into it for it to be able to lower the freezing point of that liquid that is carrying, transporting nutrients around in the, in the plant, which is a you know, key thing for it to be able to do to stay alive. Right. And so because of that, it can survive lower temperatures without it experiencing some of the downsides we talked about last week, where there's all kinds of ways that freezing temperatures, and if the water in a plant freezes, it could go south. Right. Um, so because of it having a lot of dissolved things in its water, in its, in its main way of transporting nutrients around in it, mm-hmm. it survives. And that is called colligative property. The fact that it has that much dissolved into it, that it lowers the, the freezing point. That's right. Okay. So the good thing about our maple trees surviving mm-hmm. the winter is that then they can stay alive and grow really tall and give us maple sap that we can turn into maple syrup. Mm-hmm. And the way they do that is by taking the sap and boiling it down. And while they're doing that, it gets more and more concentrated, but it's mm-hmm. also putting lots of energy into a chemical reaction that's happening. And it also has to, they have to keep increasing the heat in order to keep it boiling because there is so much dissolved into it that it increases the boiling point, right? Right. And that ends up not only making it much, much more concentrated, but also producing different molecules, different atoms are interacting with each other and combining in in new ways that weren't necessarily present in the sap. And the end product we have is a much more concentrated, but also much more complex and diverse concoction of molecules. That's right. And it tastes good. And it tastes really good, which is really nice. So I think that's a good summary. I think colligative properties can be kind of hard to grasp, like I said earlier, but I think that's a good understanding. I'm not sure if I stated this before, but also the more stuff is dissolved in, the higher the effect is. So if you have a little bit of salt dissolved in, it may lower or raise your boiling point and freezing point respectively by a little bit. But if you have a whole pound of salt dissolved in, (laughs) it'll do it a lot more. So as the concentration increases, so does the effect on the colligative property, bigger or smaller. Got it. Got it. So that's a little bit about the colligative properties. I think your explanation was great. And I'm really excited about this next part. So Excellent. In this interview that I listened to with Dr. Navindra Siram, he talked a lot about how he and his graduate students isolate some of those polyphenols that are present in maple syrup Mm -hmm. and how they looked into some of their effectiveness on different things. For his lab specifically, 
they looked at how maple syrup extract, which is not just the sugary maple syrup by itself, but extracting those polyphenols primarily Mm -hmm. can impact inflammation. And they've done studies in animals, not on humans, on how it affects inflammation with regards to Alzheimer's. And oh, it also has wow. some anti-cancer properties. There's something in maple syrup extract that's very similar to um, a breast cancer drug. Wow. And another group that this was published in a journal from the American Chemical Society found, this is very cool and I'm very excited about it, huh? that maple syrup can aid in the effectiveness of antibiotics. Whoa. So something about the maple syrup extract, not the maple syrup itself, but the maple syrup extract can help change how easily the antibiotics can enter the cell. They can gain more access. They increase the permeability of the cell. So how easily the antibiotics can get in Uh and somehow the maple syrup extract will turn off this sort of pump that kicks antibiotics out of the bacterial cell. Uh (laughs) You know, uh it's like a bacteria protection mechanism. The maple syrup extract will somehow cancel that out and allow the antibiotics to stay in the cell, improving their effectiveness so that a small amount of antibiotic can go a much further way. Whoa. Interesting. And they're also looking at how that can impact the effectiveness of antibiotics on superbugs that are resistant to antibiotics. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Dude, that's crazy. So would this be something that, does it seem like if you naturally say you're someone who naturally just eats real maple syrup on their breakfast every morning, Mm -hmm. would these effects potentially be part of it just in small amounts or is it really beneficial for them to isolate things and pull things out and, and use them that way? Yeah, so he was very careful in his podcast interview, and you guys can go check it out. We'll link to it in our resources. It was a good podcast. It was a little jargony, so not as boiled down, (laughs) boiled down like syrup, (laughs) to the basics as we do. It had a lot of bigger words, and some of them even I was kind of not tracking with when they were more in the biology realm, but Mm -hmm. it was understandable, and I still learned a lot from it. I think other people would benefit from it as well, but he was very careful not to say this means you should have a lot more maple syrup. He Mm -hmm. said, probably if you're going to have a sweetener of some kind, maple syrup would be a better option for you than corn syrup because it has these additional nutrients. But I think what's hard is the extract has shown these properties. So I wonder if the sugar has so much bad for you properties that there being some good properties doesn't really cancel out. So you shouldn't have a ton of maple syrup, but if you're going to have something sweetened, maybe having those natural polyphenols present is better than having no polyphenols present. <laughs> yeah, but he yeah. was very careful to give an, any advice on eating more maple syrup or anything like that. He is not a medical professional. It's just, hey, we found that in maple syrup, there are things that are good for your body. Yeah. However, it's still sugar. He That sort of seemed to be the message he gave us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I've heard that before. People like start to talk about like this sugar or that sugar, like cane sugar versus um, right. high fructose corn syrup. It's like at the end of the day, though, if you're ingesting a lot of sugar, that's not good. It doesn't matter which kind. It's right. not. It's not like one of them is 
you know, great for you. It has no negatives or something like that. <laughs> right. So there's still the negatives of the sugar in there, but uh-huh. it comes with positives as well, where there's some that don't have any positive. It's just pure sugar and none of these additional compounds. Dude, that is so cool. I'm going to have to send, once we finish this, send this to one of my old college roommates is from Vermont. And um, we lived together for two years and he loves real maple syrup and wouldn't even touch fake stuff. I'm like <laughs> just so disgusted by it. And he, his parents would always send him like care packages. And most of the time it'd be like, like some real legit local, like maple syrup. Uh, how delightful. Also like maple candies and stuff. Sometimes he'd give us some. And so I cannot think of like real legit maple syrup without thinking of him. So he's going to be glad to find out there's all these potential cool other things about maple syrup more than just its taste. Right. And part of why they started to look into this was actually because indigenous people who are native to that part of the world, similarly to your friend, (laughs) although much, much preceding him, used (laughs) maple syrup and its extract and stuff as medicine. So again, we're seeing the modern look the western chemistry look at something that has been around a long long time before our traditional sciences were even developed so that's pretty yeah. cool too that we're learning the chemistry now behind things that were already existing like when we found the lemongrass braids worn by native people in america and canada so that's really really cool <laughs> yeah yeah dude that's awesome and they're also looking at Dr. Navendra's serum talked about how they're looking at other parts of the plants as well and seeing if there's something in maple leaves. When they prune maple leaves, they looked at all the compounds present in living maple leaves and in maple leaves that had fallen off the tree naturally. So there's other avenues to see what natural products are present in Mm -hmm. these trees that could provide an avenue to medicine. Wow. Dude, that's cool. Isn't science amazing? Yeah, it really is. And it's in it just like when we talked about the the other ways that like, oh yeah, native people have been doing this for a long time and now we're discovering mm-hmm. it's just cool that, that keeps happening. That it's like, oh, these properties have been there and people kind of picked up on that. Right. And we're slowly science is slowly backing it up, you know? Right. And figuring out something ways to maybe like take that and make it more concentrated or, you know, package it into a different form or something like that but that's just that's cool yeah and that's why again I've I mean we've talked about this before but I tend to really think that you've got to take everything with a grain of salt but I'm not one to like poo poo at natural solutions to things some natural medicines I think really are effective and I don't think western chemistry is the only way of knowing something. I think it's clear that these indigenous populations had a lot of knowledge about the earth and the natural products that existed. Uh And we're just sort of learning about them from a different angle at this time, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I forgot to say that the person who's working on this, he's a chemist and he called himself a natural products chemist. And sometimes there are organic chemists who synthesize or try to figure out how to synthesize natural products. So that's things that are naturally occurring in the earth, but are very complex. And so we're just trying to find a way in the lab to mimic those natural product synthesis. And there's a lot of that in the organic chemistry literature. And I thought it was just really interesting. Dude. Yeah. That's cool, man. 
That's interesting. And he talked about all the techniques they use to extract the polyphenols from the maple syrup. It was really fun to listen to that. And even if you've just taken a very introductory organic chemistry course, you've done a lot of those same techniques that they're using in this high level lab. So if you're an organic chemistry student listening to this, definitely go check out this podcast. It was on foodie pharmacology. And I think if you just Google maple syrup chemistry podcast, it should come up. Hmm. Sweet. <laughs> sweet like sugar, like syrup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it time to talk about some sweet stuff that's happened during our weeks? It is time to talk about that. So Jam, do you want to share something good from your week? Sure. It's a small one, but in the in the saga of house related things that have been pretty much most of my like uh things from my week the past few episodes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You know, I feel like that's taking over your life a little bit. Yeah, it really is. I'm ready for it to not be taking over my life. But we just finished um, the two projects that we had going on were just new flooring and and painting everywhere. And because that finished this past week, that's cool on its own right. But I, we were finally able to set up some rooms that we weren't really able to set up, including the room I'm in right now, which is going to be a study for the foreseeable future. And will mean that I have a desk in a room that has a door that closes, which I have not had for like years. And that'd be really good. It also means that for however long we're needing to record remotely like this, I have a place to record that's also my desk to work where I can just leave this stuff set up and not have to set it up again every time. And I don't have to go into some other random room like I did at my other house where I just go into our guest room and sit on the bed and like kind of hunch over the mic. Right. So this is a lot more, uh, a lot more sustainable for sure. So that's, I'm excited about that. And I think also in terms of working on stuff, this will be a much better scenario for me. So that's good news. Yay. That's very exciting. And maybe when we can record in person, I can come there to that space and we could record in that office one day once COVID is over and we're both vaccinated and life is a little bit more normal. Dude, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, it's nice to have just a dedicated room for this kind of stuff, which I've right. we've had, we've had before back at like two houses ago, but you start to realize the possibilities of like, Oh, you could have people over that. Like if you're working on something or for recording or stuff like that, it starts to realize right. like this is a workspace and there's room for other people to come work if they need to or whatever so yeah very exciting so that's mine what about you well mine is very exciting you guys know that i'm an ice skater and Mm -hmm. i love ice skating not professionally or anything but i've I've taken ice skating lessons for the better part of two years and i loved it and it brought me so much joy and i love being cold instead of hot and i love working on a skill and doing something physical but does that mean that you're green belt now in ice skating or? <laughs> yeah, I think I've, I think I've been maybe up, upgraded. I'm definitely pretty sh- sure I'm close to a black belt in ice skating. Whoa. Nice dude. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so I, this last semester, unfortunately my um, belt progression and being up upgraded higher levels has slowed way down because last semester I was really busy uh-huh. I'm starting to get, there's a weird stage in the middle of grad school where 
you still have classes, but your research has gone into hyperdrive. Uh-huh. And it's just like a year of weirdness before you finish your classes. Because once I'm done with my classes, I just research all the time. And so it's not as demanding. Yeah. But right now I'm in the overlap. So last semester I was barely ice skating. And this semester I had to make the decision that it was not financially worth it to keep going and not worth my time to keep mm-hmm. driving that far because it's pretty far away. Yeah, yeah. And I've been feeling it. I've been feeling a little bit more down. I just really miss it. It's something that brings me so much joy that it was a noticeable absence that was negatively impacting me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I had to come up with a solution. And I tried a few things. And this one, I think, is the right one. Are you ready for it? I think I am. I purchased roller skates. Nice. Dude, very cool. I'm very excited about it. I borrowed some from a friend first to make sure it'd be worth the investment. And it is the closest thing to feeling like I'm ice skating than anything I've tried, including rollerblading. Rollerblading Mm -hmm. was not the same, but roller skating has been pretty close. And I'm doing it with a friend. So here in Denton so I don't have to drive but it still has that social aspect and it's that fun physical aspect of building a skill Uh and I have really 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 enjoyed it so that is what I am getting up to that has made me very happy is roller skating around my friend's apartment complex dude (laughs) like we're junior high kids (laughs) (laughs) that's great so I'm curious though why is roller skating more like ice skating than roller blading because I would think because of the inline like right wheels on the blades that it might feel more similar, but I, just, I have no idea. I think it's because there is a heel on most mm. skates. The boot of roller skates is similar to ice skates. Oh, it's like I a see. heel and a, your weight is kind of, I guess more forward compared to roller blades where your foot is flat. Like you're in a shoe. Okay. Okay. Got it. And there's a stopper on the front of roller skates that lets you stop and sometimes perform jumps in a way that is similar to ice skating. Okay. There is a type of inline roller blade that is designed to have an exact weight distribution like ice skates. And I think I would enjoy that, but it's close to $400. So there's no way. Oh yeah. Dang. Interesting. <laughs> So right now I'm doing roller skates, which is much less than $400 and is really fun. Don't worry. I've got knee pads and elbow pads and wrist guards, which, you know, the fun thing about being 30 is I don't care if I look dumb. Whereas when I was young, I didn't ever want to wear safety gear because I didn't want (laughs) to look silly. But now I don't care how I look because it feels so safe. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And you care more about like, I don't want to be hurting for a week after right and you can take more risks because you're protected, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) And your skin doesn't heal as fast these days as it does when you're 12. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want to take those same risks. You just have a slower healing body the older you get. <laughs> so it's been really fun. I'm excited. I'll post a picture of me roller skating. And once my skates come in, I'll show you guys those. And hopefully I can make some good progression. But it has brought me a lot of joy. And I can already tell there's an improvement in the way I'm feeling overall, just exercise is so important for your mental health and ability to concentrate. I think when I'm exercising, I'm a better chemist, a better researcher, a better podcaster. I think it just all sort of helps me be 
better all around. Yeah, as that a makes human sense. Being. That makes total sense. I'm very happy. I'll keep you guys posted. Sweet. Well, thanks, Jam, for coming and listening to me chat really all about my roller skates because I'm so excited about that. And also about maple syrup and collegative properties because I think this is such a cool application of something I already knew about sugaring and salting roads, but I did not know that trees basically sugar their own roads. And as a byproduct, we get a delicious sweetener. Dude, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for teaching us all about that. And Melissa and I have a lot of ideas for topics of chemistry in everyday life, but we want to hear from you. Some of the best ideas and best questions come from you guys. So don't hesitate to reach out to us on Gmail, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Chem for Your Life. That's Chem, F-O-R, Your Life, to share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, go to ko-fi.com slash chemforyourlife and donate the cost of a cup of coffee. If you're not able to donate, you can still help us by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us to share chemistry with even more people. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. References for this episode can be found in our show notes or on our website. Jam Robinson is our producer, and we'd like to give a special thanks to A. Kiwasong and S. Navarro, who reviewed this episode.